In today's episode of the Dad Tired Podcast, I talk about what it looks like for us as dads to suffer well and how to teach our children how to suffer well. Before we dive into that very uplifting topic, (laughs) I want to thank my friends over at Samaritan Ministries for sponsoring today's podcast. You might have a broken bone, cancer, medical emergency, but you don't have to be limited by network restrictions when it comes to choosing your healthcare provider. There is another way. Samaritan Ministries is not insurance. It's a community of Christians paying one another's medical bills where members are free to choose their doctor, their treatments, and the hospitals that best meet their own needs. Samaritan Ministries connects hundreds of thousands of Christians across the nation who care for one another through prayer, encouragement, and financial support for their medical needs. Samaritan Ministries is a biblical solution to healthcare. They connect you to other Christians who support you spiritually and financially when you experience a medical need. It's affordable and you can join today. Here's how it works. When a medical need arises, you choose the healthcare providers and treatments that work best for you and your family. Medical bills are then sent to Samaritan Ministries and they notify members to pray and to send you money for your shareable bills. The money received is used to help pay your medical bills. They have tons of online resources available to you to help you choose your provider, to get help for prices on medical procedures. They'll even give you 24-7 access to medical professionals by phone or email to get medical advice before you visit the doctor, which is going to save you time and money. I think this is what the writers of the New Testament meant when they said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6, 2, or when Philippians 2, 4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. If you're interested in becoming part of this amazing community, you can go to SamaritanMinistries.org slash dadtired. Again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org dot org slash dad title. I know many of you guys who are listening today often will jump into the Dad Tired podcast as a way to just try to grow your own journey as a father. You're trying to step up and to lead better, to be a better husband, a better father, and a better disciple, which that alone, man, that's just amazing. I want to commend you on that. There are a lot of guys who don't care. I just overheard somebody talking to somebody else, I kind of was like in a passing conversation, I overheard somebody talking about how the father of her particular child just didn't care at all to be involved in her child's life. And so she is a single mom. And so the fact that you're engaged, man, you're there, you're showing up for your kids. And now that you're listening to a podcast like this and you're doing your best to be the father that God has called you to be, it just says so much about you, man. God is like proud of you for that. So just hear that the fact that you're stepping into this, God does not take that lightly. He will honor you and your efforts. And I, and I really believe that you'll get to see the fruit of the seeds that you're planting now. That being said, I want to remind you of something really important. Before you are a father and before you are a husband, you are first a son. Like you have been adopted into the family of God and God calls you son. And he considers you before anything, his son. And that is your primary identity. So I know you're coming here to like get information and to try to grow in your role as a father and as a husband. But before all of that, man, I just felt pressed to remind you, you are a son. God should have left you in your rebellion. The fact is you turned your back on God. You have done things outside of the way that he designed things to be. You have chosen your own path. You have at different times in your life said, I think I'm a better God than God has. You probably have never said those words out loud, but the way that all of us live our life, we indicate through the way that we live our life that we think we're better gods than God is. And God, based on that, should have, and he could have left and said, you know what, I'm out. Like, you're not obedient. You're not doing things the way I designed. You're choosing to do your own path. You think you're better at this whole life thing 
than me, the one who created life itself. And so I'm out. But instead of that, instead of God doing that, God instead chose to adopt you into his family so that he can call you son. And like a good father, he is discipling your heart as his son in the same way that you are looking for every possible opportunity to point your kids to Jesus. You're looking for every opportunity to have a teachable moment with them in the same way God is using every opportunity to shape your heart to train you up in righteousness, to make your heart more like his. Again, he doesn't just save you by having you say a prayer and then you kind of wait until you die, trying your best to avoid all the major sins. Don't get drunk. Don't sleep around. Don't say bad words. Don't do all this stuff. And then if you just live your life right and you're holy enough and you follow all the rules, then I'll let you into heaven. That is not the relationship that we see. That is not the God of the scripture, the God of the Bible is one who is drawing your heart to his as his son. You are his son and he's drawing his son's heart back to his. Think about the prodigal son, right? He runs after us. He is in your rebellion. He has drawn your heart back to his and all throughout your life, he is using every opportunity to disciple you, to shape your heart, to become more like his. And so before you are a father, before you are a husband, before you are whatever the title is on your business card, before all of that, you are a son. You're a son of the Most High God. And he loves you deeply. And in this very moment, he is trying his best to use this as an opportunity to draw your heart near to his, to shape your heart, to become more like his. And so just rest in that, man. I know you're wearing a lot of hats today. I know you are trying your best to figure out what it looks like to provide for your family today, to raise kids who are great kids and who love the Lord and who are productive and who care for the people around them. I know you're trying your best to be a husband who loves your wife well in the midst of all the brokenness and the friction that you guys have and all the problems that you're going through. In the midst of all of that, you're trying to be the best husband that you can be. You're showing up to work and you're working hard. But before all of that, man, you can actually set all of that aside and just rest right now and know that while you're working really, really hard to grow in all of these areas, God just sees you as his little boy. You are his son. This week, I had a moment where I felt that God was discipling my heart, where he was taking all the brokenness and all the things of my heart, and he was shaping them to become more like him. He was using moments to make my heart more like his. If you have listened to the Dad Tired podcast for a long time, or maybe you've read one of the Dad Tired books, you have heard me talk about how my dad was not part of my life. Really, at the age of three, we had very little interaction in my childhood. I would say that I was raised by my mom as a single mom. And my dad and I would talk a few times a year. There was not really animosity. He wasn't trying to be a jerk or anything. When he showed up, he was a wonderful dad. When we talked, he was wonderful. When I got to spend time with him, I loved spending time with him, but we just didn't spend a lot of time together and we didn't talk that much. And so he wasn't a shaping influencer in my childhood. And I've talked about this on the podcast, but there was a moment kind of in the middle of my hurting and depression and just angst that I was experiencing several years ago where I was going through counseling and a lot of the stuff that I was dealing with and trying to process in my childhood and my dad's absence, 
I was just dealing with this. It was on the forefront of my mind. And my dad happened to visit one day. He came up to Oregon. He lives in California. He came up to Oregon. And this was on the forefront of my mind. So he just came to visit, just check in and see, hey, how's the family? We haven't talked in a while. But on the top of my brain, the forefront of my brain was all this pain that I was going through. I was in the middle of trying to process my childhood. And so unfortunately for him, he kind of got blindsided, but I just brought up, I said, dad, I just need to ask you, I'm not mad at you. I'm not angry at you. I have forgiven you, but I just need to know why you left. And my dad, and I just really believe the Holy Spirit orchestrated all of this moment, but he just owned it. He didn't make excuses. And that was a really healing experience. I did a whole episode on that. I'll link it in the show notes so that you can go back and listen. I talk about that whole experience deeply. Maybe you relate to that if you and your dad didn't grow up close. I I share that whole experience much more deeply and what that did for my journey and for us. But since then, he and I have become closer. And so I was talking to him on the phone the other day, and he said something that was really profound and something that I believe God was using as a moment to disciple my heart to help make me more like his. My dad said, as we were talking on the phone, my dad said, Jared, one of the biggest regrets of my life is that I was not around for your childhood. It's the thing that I regret every day. And I, it is hard for me to live with. I'm paraphrasing his words, but he was saying, it's the hardest thing for me to live with, to know that I did not stick around to see you grow up as a child. But he said, that being said, um, there's two reasons why I wouldn't change what happened. The first reason is, he said, I think if I would have stuck around, I think you would have become like me. I'm going to try not to get choked up here as I talk about this. He said, I think if I would have stuck around, you would have become like me. And I'm so glad you didn't become like me because I went off the path and I veered far and I wouldn't have wanted you to veer far and I wouldn't wanted you to become like me. And so I'm thankful even though I regret not being around, I'm thankful actually that your mom was there to help keep you on the right path because I wouldn't have wanted you to become like me. That's the first reason. The second reason is look at the way God has used our story to touch other men's lives. He said, Jared, I'm okay with you using me as an example of what not to do as a father. You didn't have your dad around and now you write books and you speak and you talk about it. Tens of thousands of men have been changed. Their families are changing. They're becoming better men, fathers, husbands, disciples because of our story. And he said, I regret every day that I wasn't there, but I see how God is using it. And man, my eyes, as my dad is saying this, this just happened this week, totally unexpected. (laughs) You know, my kids are running around, cereals being spilled. Literally my daughter's in the room as he's talking and she's yelling and she's spilling stuff. And I mean, it's chaos. And in the middle of all the chaos, God is healing my heart. He's taking brokenness from years, decades, and he's mending it together. And there was a deep sense of healing that was happening on that phone call in the middle of chaos. God was discipling my heart. But here's what's actually the most profound thing. That moment, those words from my dad were powerful and healing. But here was actually what was even more powerful in healing. We hung up the phone and I just kind of sat here again. You can imagine as a young dad, I know you've experienced this in your home. There's just kind of noise all the time and chaos all the time. So that's happening as I'm sitting here. And yet in the middle of all the noise and all the chaos, there's kind of a silence and a stillness in my spirit. And I'm, and I'm sitting here 
in my office and, and the noise is around, but yet there's a quietness in my heart. And I feel like the Lord just started to shape and to disciple and to heal my heart. And I, and I really believe that he spoke to me with clarity. Now, listen, if you're a brand new Christian or maybe you're new to Christianity, that sounds super weird, dude. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't take that lightly. I know when I say things like the spirit of God spoke to my heart, you're like, what the dude, what are you talking about? That sounds weird. So just to like give you context and some of you Christians need to hear this because you've been in the Christian world for a long time and you forgot like how weird this kind of stuff sounds. But we believe, what I believe is that God, and this is unlike any other God or religion in all the world, most gods in every other religion in the world say, hey, you got to get your stuff together, pray on time, eat the right food, dress the right way, say the right things, make sure you're obedient. If you want any chance of being close to God, you need to do all these things perfectly. The God of the Bible has always had a reputation from the very first pages of Scripture to very last pages of Scripture. He always draws near to broken people. So instead of people having to run up to him, if you imagine God on top of a mountain and you trying to ascend to the top of the mountain to be near God, the God of the Bible actually makes his way down the mountain so that he can be near broken and messy people. And then God says, I'm going to put my spirit, I'm going to live inside of you, which again, most gods, even the God of the Bible, you know, you had to have like the temple all set up right and it had to look the right way and the churches had to be all right and everything had to be just pristine. But instead, God says, when Jesus died on the cross, no more, like you won't have to get your act together and present yourself as clean because you're not even clean even when you think you're clean. Instead of having these fancy churches or temples or in the Old Testament, they had these things called the Ark or the Covenant. Like all these things were like, it was perfectly set up for God to dwell. And instead of God dwelling in all these perfect places, God said, I want to dwell in you, which is crazy. You might think how you've heard people say, you can't cuss in church. You can't do this in church. You are the quote unquote church. And that has deeper meanings, but essentially God lives in you. If you are a believer in Jesus, God lives in you. His spirit lives in you. He's always been near broken and messy people. And this is unlike any other God in any other religion. So I believe that when you make the choice to believe in Jesus, he draws your heart near to him. You confess with your mouth that you have sinned against God, that you suck at being God, and you want to serve him as your God instead of you as your God. I believe that his spirit lives inside of you. And so that's what I mean when I say that the spirit is in me and it spoke to me. That It's not this audible voice. It's not this weird supernatural experience. Literally, uh, my kids are screaming, their cereal being spilled. It's like all, it's chaos. But in the midst of that, there's thoughts beyond myself that are happening. I know that was a longer kind of explanation, but I felt like it was necessary. So I'm sitting here in the stillness of the moment. And I felt like God spoke to me this. I felt like God was telling me that Jared, you have your whole life believed that I was reacting to your brokenness and to the brokenness in your family. And so there are times in my life where I've never consciously thought this. I've never consciously had this thought. But I have subconsciously believed that based on my dad's decision to not be around in my family and not be around in my life, that God was kind of scrambling to take all that mess, to take the brokenness of sin and dysfunction in a family. He's scrambling. He's like, oh man, how are we going to make this look good in the midst of 
this is like crazy and you've made a lot of bad decisions and your dad's made decisions. The family's dysfunctional. Okay. How can we take all this brokenness and we'll try to figure something out with it? That's kind of subconsciously how I've viewed my life. And yet in the moment I got the sense that God was speaking to me and saying, Jared, I, I'm not <laughs> scrambling to try to make something beautiful out of the mess. I've actually had a plan in the middle of the mess before you were even born. And that thought to me was incredibly healing to my soul. I literally started to weep. My wife came in. She's like, are you okay? I was like, I think I just experienced deep healing from God, that God wasn't trying to figure out what to do with my life and my family's sin, but God actually had planned from the beginning before I was even born to use all of it for his glory. And in that moment, I went from feeling kind of like a victim, like, oh man, poor me. Look at this childhood I've gone through. Look at this rough thing that I've gone through. I went from feeling that subconsciously to feeling honored that God would choose to use me for his glory, that I would be okay with saying, I'm okay not having a father around. I'm okay with experiencing suffering and brokenness. I'm okay with having memories of playing basketball in the driveway as a kid, wishing my dad were there. There There's so many times I have vivid memories. I have vivid memories when I just wish my dad was here. I wish I had a dad here right now. And in that moment, man, I felt like, what an honor to be able to suffer in all those years, knowing that because of that story, more guys to this day are falling in love with Jesus. They're becoming husbands, fathers, and disciples. That God did not waste those years that he wasn't choosing to scramble to figure out what he was going to do. Even before I was born, he knew that was going to be my story. And as much as I had prayed, God rescue me from this. Instead of that, he knew something bigger was coming out of it. And I would gladly, now having this perspective change, I would gladly do it all over again if I knew that God would get all the glory, that his name would be made great. I tell you that story, man, because that's my story of suffering. But if you're a human with oxygen in your lungs, with blood pulsing through your veins, you are experiencing suffering on some level. I'm not naive to think that right now you're going through some stuff or you will go through some stuff. Some of you are suffering in what feels like maybe a small way, maybe you've financially you're having a hard time or your marriage is just feels rocky. Some of you have experienced deep grief, the loss of a child, deep sickness, terrible diagnosis from a doctor for either you or somebody that you love, tragedy and pain, loss, divorce, family brokenness, betrayal. You're experiencing deep hurt. You've experienced deep hurt, or maybe you will experience deep hurt. And maybe you're like me and you feel like, man, God's just scrambling to figure out what he's going to do with this mess. And I want to remind you what God reminded me this week, that he's not trying to figure out what to do. You didn't catch him off guard. Your sin, other people's sin, the pain that you're experiencing, either self-inflicted or from somebody else, is not catching God off guard. Before you were even born, he had planned on using it for his glory. God does not desire brokenness. 
He does not desire sin to be destructive, but before the creation of the world, he knew it was going to happen and he had a plan to take those ashes and turn them into gardens, to take ugly, broken things and make them beautiful. God is not trying to figure out what to do. God has already figured out what to do. And in the middle of your pain and suffering, God has a plan for his glory and for your good. And here is why this is so important. Many of us believe subconsciously that we kind of deserve good things to come to us if we live our life right, if we get our act together, if we're, we obey all the rules, God should treat us right. Man, we have to remember that verse. You remember that verse in John where Jesus promises that there will be trouble, that there will be sorrow, that there will be pain? John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Some of the verses translate suffering, pain. It will come. Jesus promised it. But then listen to what he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Bro, you will experience pain. You will experience brokenness and suffering. Jesus literally promised it. But then he said, take heart. I've overcome. In me, you can have peace. Some of you are experiencing some really deep pain right now, man. And if you're not careful, what you'll try to do is escape the pain. You will beg God to take it away. And actually, I don't even think that that's wrong. Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane said, begged the Father on the night that he was going to be arrested and eventually crucified. Jesus was begging the Father, Lord, if there's another way, can we find another way? Will you take this from me, please? But if not, God, your will be done. And I think it's okay for you to pray as a son talking to a father, God, would you take this away? This is hard. This is painful. I don't want this anymore. I think that's an okay prayer, man. But also pray in the midst of your suffering. But God, even if you don't, your will be done. God, whatever you would want for your glory and for my good, God, your will be done. Here's what this means for us as dads trying to raise kids well. It means that our kids will suffer and we can't always rescue them or should we always rescue them, but instead point their little hearts to Jesus in the midst of their suffering. Because if we don't, they will turn into kids who are mad at God because they're experiencing some kind of pain and suffering in their life. The next time your child experiences loss or hurt or heartbreak or failure, Instead of rescuing them from that, instead ask questions like, what is God trying to teach you? What do you think God might be teaching you about himself in the middle of this pain? Is there something good either for you or for others that might come of this? What we're doing when we ask questions like that is we're letting our kids know suffering is part of the human experience as long as there's sin around. But God has not bailed on you. God has not left you. God is not scrambling to figure out what to do in your pain. But God actually has a purpose for your pain as Christians and as Christian dads and as dads who want to lead our family well. We must have a good theology of suffering. The best news of all is this, that God doesn't leave us in our suffering forever. I could go deep into the theology of this. You think back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden when man and woman turn their hearts against God. And instead of God letting them stay there forever in their suffering, he actually has them leave where he knows they will die. But in death, there's actually going to be healing. 
instead of living forever in perpetual hurt and sin and brokenness, God says, I'm going to bring an end to this hurt and sin and brokenness, and I'm going to make all things new. And God has the same promise for us. He says, this life is short, man, but there will be an end. He has overcome. We take heart because even if I suffer until death, I know that I go get to go be with Jesus, that he's making all things new again. We won't forever always suffer. The story of eternity is not forever suffering. It's actually forever glory and good. And so my prayer for you today, as you listen to this podcast, I pray, man, that this is a moment where you experience God's discipling of your heart, his drawing you as a son to him. I first want you to walk away with this, that God has a purpose for your suffering. He is not scrambling in the midst of it, trying to figure out what he's going to do. He's not caught off guard. Before the creation of the world, he knew you would be going through this moment. He knew all the pain and junk you would experience, and he has plans for his glory first, and number two, for your good. Whether you see it, whether you get to see it one day or not, God will use all things for his glory and for your good. And so don't try to escape it. Don't just pray, God, please get me out of this. Don't turn bitter towards God. God, would you rescue me from this? How come you gave me this? How come you did this to me, God? We take peace in Christ, like Jesus said. I take heart. I have peace because even when I don't understand it, I trust that God is good, that he is for his glory and he is for his good and he will make those two things come to fruition even in the midst of my suffering. So I'm not praying that God takes me out of this or I'm going to be really mad. I'm not questioning God's goodness. I know, I expect there fully to be pain and suffering. And so when it comes, when I'm in the middle of it, I actually have peace because Jesus told me to expect this, but that he would overcome it. So even in the middle of your pain and your suffering, I pray that you have peace. The world can't offer anything like that. The world might offer you peace in all kinds of really shallow things, but Jesus has a deep peace for your soul. And so even as you suffer today, brother, know that God is using all of it. He's planned all of it for his glory and for your good. The second thing is that we would raise kids who suffer well. That when life strikes them with some kind of pain and tragedy, and it will for sure happen, that they're not scrambling, that they're not feeling a sense of God, why did you do this to me? That they're not questioning the goodness of God, but they start to ask themselves questions like, in the middle of my pain, what is God trying to teach me about myself? What's God trying to teach me about himself? Is there something good that's coming from this? either for me or for other people. If my end goal is just straight comfort and happiness, then I will use God as a way to try to accomplish my goals of just having a great life. And that is not the plan that God has for you. If my purpose as a follower of Jesus is to bring God glory, to see myself as a servant of Christ, that my life is not my own, but it's owned by him. And whatever the king wills for me to do, I will do and I will do it with joy. If that is my purpose, then I can actually suffer and call it an honor to suffer on behalf of God's glory. That even in the midst of my pain, knowing God will somehow use this for his glory and for my good to draw other people near to him, then I will suffer well and we will teach our kids how to suffer well. Would we be servants of Jesus 
who suffer well, who have peace in the midst of tragedy because we take heart knowing that Jesus has overcome the world. I pray that Jesus has discipled your heart today, that he has drawn you closer to him as his son. And as a result, you rest in your sonship and you take confidence as a father raising sons and daughters of the Most High. I love you. I'll see you next week. Thank you.